Bonjour and bienvenue. We're here in New Orleans broadcasting from 88.3 FM WRBH for another edition of Public Affairs. I'm Anne Guillaume, and today we have uh, one of my favorite public presences here. He is a linguistic and heritage language advocate. He's a Louisiana historian, cultural authority, former director of Codafil, marketing and outreach director for Laura Creole Plantation and Historic Site, and the board president of Alliance Française here in New Orleans. So I guess you'd say he's an all-around Francophone Renaissance man, Mr. Joseph Dunn. Thanks, Anne, for having me today. It sounds a whole lot more impressive when you read it out like that than it actually is. I know. That was a pretty hefty list, but I felt the public should know. It's it's a lot. I, I try to stay busy and uh, have fun doing all those really interesting things. And I have to thank you for trudging out here in the middle of a terrible rainstorm. And I did hear, I think you'll find get a good a kick out of this because I once heard uh, a rainstorm described as Mother Gaia nourishing us with her cloud titans. That's pretty uh, <laughs> picturesque. Pretty there. It's pretty picturesque. So it kind of brings us into our topic today. I, I, intru- I uh, it, uh, introduced uh, the show by saying bonjour and bienvenue because we're going to be talking about the French language. And so if the public isn't aware, titans means boobs. So it kind of makes that cloud comment even funnier. Which goes right into that whole big uh, mountain range up right? in the Tetons. Exactly. The Grand so speaking of uh, Mother Gaia nourishing us with those cloud Tetons, we are time for our little uh, our icebreaker question that I've been asking every guest uh, just to kind of break the ice. And it is also the same question that our engineers ask us to test the mics, which is, what did you have for breakfast? I had a banana and a peanut butter cliff bar. Okay, that's pretty pretty respectable. Uh, I feel like I don't want to answer every week because my answers are always embarrassing. Uh, I had a chocolate donut from our little break room here. So uh, moving on. <laughs> that sounds tasty. So I guess take us off here. What, what are we going to be? We're going to be kind of, I guess getting into heritage languages and, uh, I guess, linguistic advocacy, which is something that's very important to the public. It's affected my life, my family's life uh, significantly um, because we are French speakers historically. Uh, So I'll open with a little quote that I uh, took from one of your presentations that I think kind of sets us off into our topic here. Great, which is, um, like jazz and gombo, the French and Creole languages are pieces of Louisiana's cultural birthright. Let's call them heritage languages, not foreign languages, to make them more accessible and reclaim them as part of our daily lives. So can you kind of tell us where that came from, expand, you know, expand on that quote? I could talk about this <laughs> through so many prisms and so many filters and for hours and hours and hours until your eyes roll back in your uh-huh. head. Um, just because I'm so deep in, in the weeds with it all. And I've had the great pleasure and opportunity to be able to break a lot of this stuff down in ways that a lot of people have have not been able to understand. Mm-hmm. And um, that comes back to this, this whole idea of um, assimilation and Americanization and all of those things. So back to that quote, when we think about all of those other things that are so integrally part of our cultural DNA here, our music, our food, just the way that we live. A lot of people, I think, forget that 
all of those things were born in the French and the Creole languages. They weren't born in English, mm -hmm. but now they're consumed in English. And we've lost in many ways our our connection to uh, the the origins of uh, of our culture. And culture is defined by language. And when we lose language, um, we lose aspects of, of, of those cultures. Yeah, it's kind of a, I think it might have heard you say this once, it's almost we're kind of walking around with a fractured identity that we almost aren't even aware of because of how far we've veered from our origins as far as the French language, right? I, I, would, I would say that, absolutely. There are so many aspects of um, our street names, the streetscapes, the environment in which we live, the food that we eat, the music that we listen to, um, that... Again, we're born in, in those heritage languages that we have a relational disconnect to because for more than 100 years, since 1921, um, we've been programmed to think about uh, the French language uh, and even the Spanish language as foreign languages mm -hmm. in Louisiana, which they weren't until 1803 when Louisiana was sold to the United States. Um, and so this relational disconnect is is... Is, is evidence in, in all of that um, because language informs everything. Language informs our identity to to ourselves. It informs our our relationships to other people. It informs uh, how we see all of the things around us. Yeah. So, kind of when you mentioned assimilation and Americanization, maybe kind of expand on what assimilation is. One of those words you don't often hear. So, how would you explain that to a public maybe who's never heard that before? Well, um, let's let's start with that whole idea of 1803 and mm -hmm. what we learn about in school with that significant date in, in the history of this country. We learn about that as the Louisiana Purchase. Mm -hmm. For your ancestors, for my ancestors, it was not that at all. It was the sale of Louisiana. Mm -hmm. And so there's a simple little paradigm shift there that changes completely our relationship to, to that historic event. Um, and so for the populations in Louisiana at that time, um, Americans were immigrants to them. Americans were foreigners to them. And for many people up until maybe two generations ago, um, there was still that disconnect with Americans who were English speakers versus the native populations here in Louisiana who were speaking French and speaking Creole. Okay. Uh, I'm not sure if this would be a good example, but... Uh, it's kind of a personal story that might sort of reflect the lived experience of assimilation. And it's, uh, I didn't realize that I had been mispronouncing my own last name until it's Gio. I, you know, we'd been saying Giat for the longest because I think uh, that was, I guess, the Americanized version of it. Uh, I didn't find this out until I was past 30, you know. <laughs> so when I found that out, that was just, uh, it felt like a dart that had been shot into my heart that we were just saying our own last names wrong. And it's funny because my uncle is actually, he's a um, horse trainer, so he's on ESPN and whatnot, and they always referred to him, they correctly pronounced his last name, Gio, because I guess he wasn't here in Louisiana where there was kind of prejudice against those French last names. So is that... Would you say that's kind of a a little vestige of assimilation there? Totally, totally. And uh, the we we hear often about 
immigrants coming to the United States. Mm -hmm. um, and when immigrants come to the United States, um, if we think historically of the 19th century, early 20th century, with big waves of, of immigrants coming in from Europe and, and from other places, they were coming to the United States and then within one or two generations were assimilating into mainstream American culture. Um, the flip side of that is for Louisiana after 1803, Americans are crossing the border. I, I think mm -hmm. it was Eva Longoria, who's the Hispanic or Chicano actress who mm -hmm. was once talking about speaking Spanish in Texas. And she said, you know, we've been here for generations. The border crossed us. Well, Ooh. in Louisiana, that's what the, uh, I believe Frida Kahlo says the same thing. And yeah. in Louisiana, I think people have, have lost that um, connection to how that history played out. And, you know, the border, the border crossed us. Um, so, uh, with, with assimilation here, it was people coming from outside and Americans coming mm -hmm. from outside and forcing people in Louisiana then to become American. Mm -hmm. And these people did not choose to become American. They did not choose mm -hmm. for Napoleon to sell Louisiana to the United yeah. States. So um, there was very still up, up until again a couple of generations ago because I knew when uh, – I'm a little bit older than you, but I knew when I was an adolescent in my mm -hmm. early 20s elderly people in, in Louisiana who were monolingual French or Creole speakers yeah. for whom people who spoke English were – Americans, like they, they, they were the mm -hmm. other. Yeah, my, uh, my, all my, all four of my grandparents, their first language was French, and uh, it's. I think these are also kind of little hints to assimilation. For example, now that I've already briefed you, audience, on what Titans means, uh, you know, embarrassing story alert. When I was younger, uh, going through puberty, my parents would always, <laughs> my family would always refer to my Titans, and it was like double embarrassing that they were. Obviously, talking about puberty, but then also in French. So I think a lot of the uh, people who haven't grown up with these heritage languages don't really realize that there was an element of like it was embarrassing to for me to I guess anything that it is a difference kind of can be something that uh, you know you can receive prejudice for. And another great example is uh, my grandmother, uh, Miss Loni Delcom, who lives in New Iberia. She would tell me stories uh, about how she when she was younger. She would wait to go into stores until there were a lot of people in them so that the shop owner wouldn't call her a C-O-O-N-A-S-S. -S. And she would say that the people who would call her that would be the Cajuns themselves, or I don't even know what you'd call, label them as these days. So it was, we definitely internalized that prejudice uh, and, you know, shot it out at other people like us, which is really unfortunate. And I think it makes... Um, the work that you do with restoring these heritage languages all the more important. It's it's an uphill battle um, because you know it's it's actually dating from 1921 that English was imposed as the mandatory language of, of public education, and um, there were lots and lots of myths created about French speakers in Louisiana. Um, I think it also bears noting that we tend in in the general. I guess, anecdotal uh, story, um, people are, a lot of people think that that targeted people who identify as Cajun. Mm -hmm. It did not. Yeah. Um, that was applied to every heritage language speaker in Louisiana, mm -hmm. be they French, be they Spanish, be they German, be they native languages, be they black, be they white, be they mixed race. It had to do with every language. Mm -hmm. And at that point, all of these school children 
are now going to be assimilated into English. But one of the huger pieces of this whole thing that that gets lost in these conversations mm-hmm. is we never address racial segregation as part of it. Ooh, and that's yeah, a get into big, that. big piece um, because historically there were just as many people of color speaking French or Creole in Louisiana as mm-hmm. they were white people. Um, enslaved people were speaking Creole or speaking French sure. also. Yeah. Um, and so when public education becomes mandatory in 1916, public education is obviously in 1916 not going to be all the black kids and all the white kids <laughs> in the same classrooms. It's segregated. Ain't that a shame. Um, and then later there are schools added for Native American children. But all of these children speak French or speak Creole at home. It's their native language. Um, but first step is going to be to racially segregate all of these kids from their same language peers. And then in 1921, English is then imposed as the mandatory language of public education, um, which means at that point that French is going to be relabeled a foreign language. And so that's going to create a relational disconnect um, that these children are going to have with their own language. Um, Applicate, and there are lots of people also who will say that it became illegal to speak French in Louisiana. That's not true. Mm-hmm. It's it's a nuance. <clears throat> um, French was never it was never illegal okay. to speak French in Louisiana. There was never a law passed that said yeah. you cannot speak French. It here was or more there. socially. Uh, it just social. They do a lot of. Um, they force. I guess you'd call it social molding or social, social pressure, maybe. But I mean, think think about what it, what is the purpose of of school, of children going to school. It is to, to pro- make it kind of all the same. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. It's 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 a normalization. Ooh, it's, it's, to, to, it's to normalize. It's to make everyone fit sort of into mm-hmm. this into the same mold. Yeah, um, I always say uh, that you have to break the mold, or else the mold's going to break you. Absolutely. And so now. In 1921, you have all these kids who were being forced to speak English, and application of that is going to differ from school to school. Um, you know, we hear the stories about some of the children being um, brutalized, being punished because they could not speak English. Those stories are all very, very valid, but that was not the case for for everybody who, who lived through that through that time period. Um, so, I kind of wanted to touch because um, they're so many things that I feel like this this city of New Orleans doesn't really realize that has been twinged by the the French language. Um, And then, you know, things that they say themselves or language patterns that they don't realize are still vestiges of Mm -hmm. that that Francophone world. Um, So we'll kind of get into them. Uh, I know all the ones that are common in Lafayette, uh, for example, when we mean to get out of a vehicle or to get go into a store, we often will say get down. And I've heard that comes from the French descend. It does, absolutely. Okay. It's descend de la voiture. Yeah, it's get down. And there are there were people in, in New Orleans who said that as well. Language language is constantly standardizing and with the advent of television and all of that. It, some of these things that were even said in New Orleans a generation or two ago are not so much said anymore. Uh, and another great one, I guess, similar to Get Down, how people often will say wipe down, like, you know, B- Lil Boosie's famous hit, Wipe Me Down, is another great example of that. Um, some other ones, uh, Rodet, you may have heard your, you know, people back in the day say, oh, she's out there Rodet in the streets. I think it's interesting that we add 
we add the English uh, ing at the end just for that Fringlish. And if you don't, if you aren't aware, rodet means to roam roam about with no particular place to go. Uh, another great one is gradu, which I think was used to refer to some type of buildup. What is the official translation for that? Um, I've seen different uh, interpretations of that. That perhaps it's even gradeuil, okay. which is fat of the eye, which is like oh, all that yes. goopy stuff. Yeah, that's, that's what we always would refer. That's all yeah. that goopy stuff in Any your eyes, especially substance. this this time of year with the pollen. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, and then another one that we, you know, we would get made fun of all the time for my out-of-state cousins when they come in town. We'd say, save the dishes, save the clothes. They're like, are they drowning? Can you explain kind of where the what that is? Um, that's just garder, oh, put, garde. them, put them away. Okay. Um, and then actually Michaud pointed out once, I, I said, if I could, could, could you, is that, is that a... Maybe not. Maybe that one's. Oh, you know what that is? Mm-hmm. It's 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 the emphasis on the if. Okay. It's the emphasis on the if, which is um, a a French characteristic um, that you often find, where you have um, you'll you'll repeat uh, a word for emphasis. Okay. Another uh, another little little anecdote that happened recently was I uh, was hanging out with my little niece and she was running away trying to escape how she always does. And I hit my elbow on the corner of the window unit AC, and I reflexively just said, ay, 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 and she repeated it, and she's only two. So I thought that was a great little example because that's exactly how this language acquisition works, right? Well, you, because you have different you have different expressions for different things in languages. English speakers are going to say, ouch, when they hurt themselves. And, and what is, I don't even know, y'all, it's, I have this as a reflex when I hurt myself, and I do not even know what I, I, I means. So can you it's, tell me? It's the English, it's the French equivalent of, of ouch. So it doesn't have a, like the word yai doesn't mean anything? No. Okay. It's just, Weird. it's just, it's just how people in French say. <laughs> Weird. Oh, I mean, animal, animal yeah. noises are, are like that as well. So in, in. Animal noises. No, they are. Yeah. Because in, in English you say, um, oh goodness, what's one of, the, what's one of the really good words that's, um, in English a duck says quack, quack. Mm-hmm. In French a duck says coin, coin. <laughs> um, <laughs> In English, you say yum, Y-U-M, mm-hmm. if something's tasty. In French, you say miam, miam, M-I-A-M. Oh, God. So I can't wait just, to tell this to my family. They're just different onomatopoeia. Because we always do that. Yeah. I, there's so many of these onomatopoeic words. Like I, I noticed when uh, a little child uses the bathroom, we'll say TT. When they hurt themselves, we'll say bobo. Like those aren't words. They're more onomatopoeic sounds. Correct. Um, and so kind of get into why... We say addressed po boy, and maybe why we why we say Calliope instead of Calliope. There are lots and lots of theories about um, the the where addressed po boy comes mm-hmm. from, um, and I have a theory that it comes from the French infinitive dresser, d r e s s e r, which means to build from the bottom up in layers. Okay, yeah, um, in I can't layers. prove it, but it makes yeah, sense. There's, there's it makes sense in my head. So um, much of this stuff you can't really prove. That's not really the nature of what this stuff is, so it is difficult. But it would make sense given that we also mm-hmm. on menus will often see panade meat. So we've taken mm-hmm. an English D and stuck mm-hmm. it onto the end of the French past participle pané, oh, which that's... means to be breaded. So classic uh So if we had yeah. a sandwich that was dressé that was built from the bottom up and we just stuck an English D on the end of it, that makes sense to me. Like, I can't <laughs> prove it and people will argue about it, yeah. but it's, you know, like lots well, of people other things. people are going to argue about everything. People we are all argue know about that, it. yeah. That's what we love that. to do. <laughs> we know that. And then so take us into these... Um, 
why do we say Burgundy? Why do we, like... I have these kinds of epiphanies every yeah. now and again <laughs> yeah. that just sort of flash in my head as I'm driving down mm-hmm. the road. And uh, it, it occurred to me one day that we say Burgundy mm-hmm. because in French you say Bourgogne. Okay, instead of Burgundy. If you've ever wondered why that street name in New Orleans is pronounced how so it is. So there's just a a shift in from the French Bourgogne into Burgundy because you have the emphasis on that second syllable in the French and it's just it's just a slide from the French into the English pronunciations. And that goes the same for Calliope because in French you say Calliope and the same for Melpomene because in French you say Melpomene. See, uh, I uh, told my family that because I've heard people so, for ages wonder why people in New Orleans said Calliope and when I let them know that this is why they, we blew all our minds. I couldn't believe nobody had ever pointed this out before. Well, because we pronounce these words now with an American accent. Yeah, we don't see? pronounce like them with a French accent. my own last name, accent. circling back to my own last name, yeah. Now if we pronounce them still with French accents, mm-hmm. it might make a little bit more sense. Yeah. Um, and so are there any other examples? Like for uh I've always had people tell me that I was pronouncing Esplanade wrong. Is it supposed to be? They're like, oh, it's Esplanade. What's the? What's everybody, your take locally, on it? Yeah. everybody locally says Esplanade. Okay. Um, I've always said Esplanade. If okay. I were pronouncing it in French, I'd say Esplanade. Okay. So um, see, I knew that I was probably the one that makes me crazy though. Correct. The one that makes me crazy though is Iberville. It's Iberville. Yeah. <laughs> I was also telling him before the show that I've I've uh, had people actually correct me when I pronounce Bouillon. And tell me that I'm saying it wrong, that it's bullion. And guys, it's bouillon. Just, uh, yeah, just a little hate to the those, folks. <laughs> it's one of those nasalized French things. Yeah, and I guess that goes back to assimilation too, to have people tell you that you are speaking your own language incorrectly. <laughs> people try to French blame yeah. me all of yeah. the time. And yeah. I'm like, do you, do you actually speak French? No, but my grandma said. I'm like, I don't care. If yeah. you don't, yeah. if you're not speaking the language every day and you're not interacting with with people from all over the the French speaking world, which I have the great um, the, the great chance and and privilege to do, um, there there are so many things that we have been told in English about our own languages and our own cultures that we have sort of accepted as as you know canon that can be methodically. Um, disproven or mm-hmm. I don't know if the word is disproven is, is, is correct, but you know, Louisiana French is not as unique as we've been believed to think that it is. Okay. It's, it's, it's very similar to, um, colonial French or, or vestiges of colonial, uh, French in the Caribbean in Canada, mm-hmm. in Africa, in the, uh, Indian ocean. There are incredible, incredible amounts of similarities. Yeah, I've heard, uh, I was reading some research about uh, diabetes, and one thing that I, apparently, populations here, even the white ones, we have a higher risk of uh, diabetes, and they, it was actually some research out of UL, and they tied it back to similarities between populations that heavily identify with colonial tentatives, Um, and so I I guess that would make sense linguistically that we would all share these uh, kind of issues with stress, one of the things that said for these populations was that they have more vivid dreams or that they just dream more in general, which I thought was kind of nuts. Maybe that would explain the insomnia last Yeah. yeah. <laughs> See, I actually did research on uh, our sleep as well, but we won't get into that here. Um, 
So let's see. Is there anything else that we want to cover here? Why don't you Why don't you talk about some of the initiatives that we've been working on to address this? Like, for example, the uh, the Codafil has that new thing you were talking about. Well, Codafil, um, which is the Council for the Development of French in Louisiana, which is based in Lafayette, is the only state agency of its kind in the United States, which is uh, specifically legislatively mandated to work on uh, the development of heritage languages. And in Louisiana, obviously, that's French and Creole. Um, just launched an initiative uh, last week called WE, uh, Franco-Responsable, WE as in, yes, in French, O-U-I. Mm-hmm. And it is an effort to catalog online businesses throughout Louisiana where people can get services in French. So these are tourism businesses, these are dentists, doctors, uh, attorneys, any kind of business that you can think about. They are trying to catalog that in one place so that uh, the people who speak French in those businesses are economically valorized so that they are actually yeah. um, using <laughs> this language yeah. as as an economic uh, resource. And it also, you know, uh, hopefully will drive both locals and um, and visitors to Louisiana to those places so that they can consume products in French. I um, And then also kind of maybe mention what Alliance Francaise does. They're a nonprofit here in New Orleans and you can kind of recover your heritage language, I guess, through Absolutely. the events, culture the events, workshops. They Alliance Francaise here in New Orleans is at uh, Jackson Avenue and St. Charles. It's a lovely raised yellow bungalow from the 1920s. Ooh, you cannot nice. miss it. It's a great little house. But we are a part of a worldwide network of French language and cultural centers. So people can come to the Alliance. They can take uh, classes in group settings. From beginner all the way up to advanced. Um, they even do like pronunciation workshops, like pronunciation the difference workshops, between all and things like that. All of those kinds of things. We do lots of cultural programming as mm-hmm. well. So at least once or twice a month we have um, some kind of event going on where there are uh, people coming in who speak French uh, with each other. There are visitors from around the world. And because now this year we're celebrating... Um, our Louisiana's admission into the International Organization of Francophone yeah, Countries. Yeah, that's great. We All can of our get, programming is about a, that this year. We can get like grant money from France now, right? Let's Funding. hope. Well, it's, it's, <laughs> from the, it's from the whole French-speaking world. That's which And awesome. there are 88 countries um, at the federal level, which are members, and Louisiana is the only state in the United States that is part of that uh, body. Awesome, yeah. So I, I challenge you guys as the public to kind of get out there and maybe uh, dig up, you know, some of this heritage that maybe we've kind of lost through the process of Americanization. Um, and so I guess that about wraps up our show for today. That was uh, Joseph Dunn, you guys, and thank you for listening to Public Affairs on WRBH 88.3 FM. I do want to give a quick shout out to Lyft, specifically uh, Blake and Eric, for all they've done uh, to work with us to improve uh, ride access for those with disabilities. So, Woo, Lyft, best ride-sharing program out there. Um, Be sure to tune in every Monday at 3 p.m. and Sundays at 8 a.m. for more public affairs. And uh, don't forget, you can listen at wrbh.org or stream live from our official WRBH app. And then also our archived episodes will be on SoundCloud. So thank you, guys. Bye.